Alleluia, Alleluia, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Alleluia. Alleluia, Alleluia, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Alleluia. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke from the 18th chapter. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. The Gospel of the Lord. Reformation Sunday is still one week away, but the gospel reading that we just heard is one that is central to the whole spirit of the reform movement that was inaugurated by Martin Luther. When the tax collector in that parable beats his breast and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, he is pointing us all to the simple truth that was rediscovered by Martin Luther and so many others at a time when the Church of Jesus Christ was drowning in self-righteousness. It's the same truth that was affirmed by Lutherans and Roman Catholics just a few years ago in a joint declaration on the doctrine of justification. Speaking with one voice now, leaders of our two church bodies said, we confess together that all persons depend completely on the saving grace of God for their salvation. As sinners, they stand under God's judgment and are incapable of turning by themselves to God to seek deliverance, of meriting their justification before God, or of attaining salvation by their own abilities. Justification takes place solely by God's grace. That's our heritage. That is what we preach and teach. But that's also what we wrestle with at so many levels of our relationship with God and with our neighbor. Because in truth, it is hard for most of us to admit that we are helpless. It's hard to admit guilt 
It's hard to accept responsibility for failure. It's hard to own up to our own participation in both individual and systemic injustice. And it's hard to let go of pride. And this is nothing new, of course. When Jews told the story of creation, they described it perfectly for all of us. As representatives of all human beings, Adam and Eve are easily seduced by the prospect of complete independence, self-determination. And then when they're confronted with their rebellion, they are quick to deflect all of the blame. Adam says to God, the woman you gave me to be with, she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate. And Eve quickly adds, the serpent tricked me and I ate. To this day, Jews remember that part of the story as a cautionary tale. In response, they have built rituals and reminders into the worship life of the community, just as we do when we begin worship every Sunday with a confession of sin. Earlier this month, the truth of this was highlighted in the Jewish observance of Yom Kippur. I like what William Glaston wrote in his opinion column in the Wall Street Journal right after that. In the Jewish tradition, he said, true repentance requires an unqualified verbal acknowledgement of wrongdoing, genuine remorse, and the sincere, determined resolve not to repeat the wrong. And then Galston quoted from the liturgy that was used in his own synagogue on Yom Kippur. What are we, the liturgy asks. What is our life, our goodness, our righteousness, our powers, our victories? What shall we say in your presence, O Lord our God? Heroes count as nothing in your presence. Famous people are as if they never existed. The wise seems ignorant, and the clever ones as if they lack reason. Perhaps we too need to hear that liturgy alongside this gospel parable that Jesus tells today, lest we think it is mostly meant for someone else. If nothing else, it could lead all of us to ask what we see of ourselves in that self-assured Pharisee who thanks God that he isn't like those other people. And when we do that, I wish that we could all have the insight of one of my friends who teaches confirmation in his church. Several years ago on the first day of teaching, the topic had something to do with the fact that we are all <clears throat> sinners. And when the time came for questions and answers, the students didn't hold back. The first one to raise his hand asked, what's the biggest sin you've ever committed? The student may have been hoping for some gossip to pass along, but the answer he got seemed rather tame. After thinking for a moment, the teacher said, I guess it would have to be pride. And he wasn't kidding. In his enlightened state of self-awareness, he knew that pride is a subtle yet very powerful force 
that gets us into trouble on an almost daily basis. Knowing the teacher, I know that he wasn't confusing pride with healthy confidence in God's gifts to us, in our God-given sacredness and potential that we have, or with the positive self-image that we want all children and youth and adults to have. Instead, he was talking about the unhealthy self-assuredness that causes us to lose perspective of who we are and of whose we are. He was talking about pride as the opposite of genuine humility. Coming back to Luke's way of hearing this parable, I'm also reminded that pride isn't just about trusting in yourself, in your own righteousness. It's also looking at others with contempt. The Greek word for contempt that Luke uses here is one that also means to hold someone to be of no account. Francois Beauvau, in his commentary on the Gospel of Luke, characterizes this mentality as a fragile arrogance that perpetuates itself only by criticizing others. I wish that I could say that we were growing out of that as a people. But the current election cycle in our country has revealed the exact opposite. Contempt for the other seems to be at an all-time high again, from the top of the presidential tickets to the daily encounters that occur at all levels of social interaction including the billions of words shared on our hyperactive social media. What's at stake here is not the freedom to disagree with each other or the responsibility to speak out when we see and experience injustice, which are very good things. Rather, what we risk losing is the safety we experience when we know that we can share our views and our passions without being personally shunned or looked down upon by others. 500 years after the Reformation, I love the fact that the Pope in Rome is now an inspiring example of the alternate path of humility that Jesus points us to in this parable. It's even evident in his frequent tweets on a particularly contentious day in U.S. politics in September, Francis tweeted, Dialogue is born when I am capable of recognizing others as a gift of God and accept that they have something to tell me. In many recent conversations at St. Mark's, we've been thinking about how we can model this in our own life together. We've wondered, for example, how we can do more to ensure that every person feels free to express his or her own views and passions in this community of faith, even if they are in the minority. We've asked with great interest how we can commit to grow into our mission of being a place of God's grace for all people, regardless of how you vote 
or how you read the Bible or how you struggle to connect your faith with the complex social issues of our time. As your pastors, we want every one of you to know that you are indeed a gift to us and to all others in this congregation. We want you to experience true freedom here. But we know that this is not something that any of us can create on our own. In the end, we are all like the tax collector in the parable who is completely dependent on God. As we said with our Catholic brothers and sisters, we all stand under God's judgment and we are all incapable of turning to a new way of life without God. But God is merciful and God is gracious and God has promised to hear us when we pray for forgiveness and to fill us with all of the grace that we need to live together as a loving, affirming community. And as Pope Francis said in a very recent tweet, when we live humbly, God takes our small efforts and creates great things. Thanks be to God. Amen.